This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the morning worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for February 19th, 2023. The title of the message is A Fellowship of Gospel Joy. We come now to that part of the service in which we open God's Word and have it read and particularly preached as it's exposited, illustrated, and applied, that it is a means of grace to our faith, that this is one of the ways in which God feeds our souls, uh, uh, a conduit uh, as if uh, a river flowed from heaven to each and every one of us. He gives it to us through his word. If you would open your Bibles with me as we continue in Paul's epistle to the Philippians, we began last week with an introduction and touched on uh, the beginning verses, and now we come to uh, the next section, verses 3 to 6. But before we hear God's word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask him for his spirit to know and to, to understand what we're about to hear. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word that is sweeter to our lips than honey. We thank you that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, we pray for your word to be as manna to our faith, that as we listen, as we hear, as we comprehend and take in all that your word says to us, Lord, help us to listen in such a way that we confess with, with the very hearing of your word, with the attention we're about to, to give to it, that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. Bless me, Lord, your servant, as I read it, and particularly as I proclaim it. May, it. may it go forth and not return unto you void without accomplishing all that you ordain it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Here now the reading of God's holy word, beginning in verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer uh, with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Uh, not too long ago, maybe like 10, 10 years ago, uh, there, was, there's a, there was a Japanese author named Marie Kondo. Um, she started, single-handedly started a decluttering craze uh, in Japan and then throughout the world. And when it hit America, it was really a, a very interesting thing to behold, that uh, people saw Marie Kondo's work as something, as an ideal to aspire to, almost like an idol where, you know, they knew that they had accumulated so much stuff. Their, their closets, their garages were all filled. Their homes were, were filled with so much stuff because we live in a consumer society. And uh, Marie Kondo wrote books like, um, you know, Tidying, uh, How to uh, Tidy Your Home for Joy. And uh, she had this system, if you will, kind of this philosophy of decluttering, organizing, and simplifying your home. And... The, what ended up happening was as people saw the simplifying and the organizing and the decluttering of their home, 
as as symbolic, representative of decluttering their lives, simplifying and organizing the chaos of their own lives. And so she became this huge phenomenon. And um, and one of the, the core principles that she uh, put forward was, here's the key, the key that she uh, would put forward with regards to decluttering. She, it, was, it was this, keep what sparks your joy. When you look at something and you're like, okay, uh, I like that, it, it makes me feel happy, then keep it. But if it doesn't, within a certain amount of time, just get rid of it. Sell it, throw it away, or give it to somebody. Uh, and simplify your life. And so people looked up to her as a hero, a hero of the simplicity of joy in decluttering one's life and in making your decisions. And uh, what was interesting is if you see pictures of, of her decluttering process, it's just, I mean, it, it seemed like a miracle. Uh, people's homes were completely organized and, and simplified. And, um, but it also caused a lot of people to be burdened and to fall into depression because they would try, and however hard they tried to simplify and declutter, it was, they couldn't do it. And they, they would just give up, and they would, be, they would feel the crushing weight of never being able to live up to uh, those standards. Ironically, um, just recently she published a book uh, in which she has now, you know, after 10 years, she has three small children. <laughs> and and, and, and her, her, she confesses that her house isn't, it isn't tidy the way it used to be. And that's probably an understatement. Um, this morning, as we continue in the book of Philippians, the gospel helps us to declutter the chaos and mess in our hearts and in our lives. It helps us to get to the heart of the matter to ask us, what is our joy? Right? What is our joy? That, 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 that principle of gospel joy that guides all the decisions that we make to keep or, or to, to, to let go all the things in our lives. What do you live for? What gives you joy in your life? What are you living for? What, are you, what would you die for? That's what it means to, to ask yourself, what gives you joy? And to declutter and simplify your, your Christian life. This morning as we continue in Paul's epistle of joy here in Philippians, he shows us what sparks his joy and what ought to spark our joy. So let's begin. What are they? What are the, the, the joys that Paul begins with uh, that he expresses uh, as, uh, as part of, the, of his Christian joy. And what does that mean for us? First, we need to know the joy of thankful remembrance. Look at verse 3. Joy begins not with what we can do, but what God has done. It begins with gratitude for what God has done and given to us. Uh, not what we uh, uh, have and what we can give to God. Gratitude begins with God. Why? Because he is the God of joy. He is the God who created joy, who is joy, the source of joy. Look at what he says there. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. He's thankful 
for the Philippian church, but who does he thank first? He thanks God because the Philippian church are gifts from God to him for his joy. And so he begins with gratitude. At the heart of joy isn't isn't joy in yourself or in your circumstances, but in God. And the way that we do that is we need to take stock of what God has done for us and just simply thank him. I wonder how much joy we forfeit in our lives. You know, sometimes we, we enter into circumstances and we, we find ourselves depressed and in despair, joyless, unhappy, because we're concentrating on what we don't have. We concentrate on the difficulties of our circumstances rather than beginning with, with God and thanking him for what we do have, what we already have. Uh, to, to know, take stock of, of, that, of what ought to be the source and center of our joy rather than looking at the periphery and saying, you know, we don't, you know, I don't have this, I don't have that. And so my life is, is joyless. Friends, brothers and sisters, let me encourage you to remember what God has, has given you. Just take a moment, just for a moment, take stock of what you what God has given to you that brings you joy. He's given you family that loves you. He's given you a husband or a wife, a spouse, children, uh, friends, community, a job. Uh, And if you don't have a job, uh, he's given you food on the table every day, a roof over your head maybe. Uh, Even if you don't have any of those things, And even if you have all of those things, the greatest gift that God has given to you that no one and nothing could ever take away is the joy of your salvation in Jesus Christ. No one can take it away. It's a treasure. It's an infinite treasure of God's love for you. And it's in the bank, and you can draw from it forever and ever. Uh, and no one can take it away from you. That's the joy they ought, we ought to begin with by thanking God. And if we're thanking God, and that becomes the foundation and the beginning, the starting point for, for a, a life of joy, then, um, then everything else becomes joy. <laughs> the joy begets joy. Gratitude begets gratitude. It's when we are ungrateful and we're, we're, we're crying or we're, sad about what we don't have, then we're, we're robbing ourselves of joy. Uh, and we're squandering, we're squandering the opportunity to rejoice in the Lord for what he's done for us. And so, so what does Paul remember then about the Philippian church that, that he's thanking the Lord for and, and as, as part of the, is part of his joy in the Lord? He remembers how he came across Lydia a God-fearing Gentile praying with others and her household on that riverside. And when Paul preached the gospel to them, God opened up her heart, God opened up their hearts to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and they were saved. And they became the first core group of that Philippian church. He remembers the slave girl possessed by the, by the, um, the, the spirit of divination. And Paul then went to her and commanded the spirit to go out of her. 
and she was restored, and she entered in and, and followed Jesus. He remembers how there was a riot, a near riot, because, because the gospel had made such an impact on the city of Philippi that people stopped buying the religious uh, trinkets and statues of the Greek gods. And, and there was a riot, and they wanted to, to uh, arrest and, and kill Paul and Silas. Uh, and when they were arrested in the Philippian jail, there was an earthquake and all the chains were broken and all the doors were opened. And the Philippian jailer, thinking that, that Paul and Silas and the others were escaping, he was about to kill himself because the, uh, the punishment for, for escaped uh, prisoners was death and they, he didn't want to suffer. And so he'd rather kill himself. And so that's when Paul and Silas said, stop, stop, we're still here. We haven't left. We're not going to leave. You don't have to kill yourself. And then, and then the Philippian jailer, you know, probably maybe heard of why Paul and Silas were in jail in the first place. Maybe Paul and Silas were preaching the gospel in prison even at that time. And so the Philippian jailer, the first question he asked is, what must I do to be saved? And Paul's answer was, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And then Paul, uh, Paul and Silas went to the Philippian jailer's house and he preached the gospel to them, to their household and their whole household. They were all baptized. The church continued to grow. And then Lydia uh, sponsored the gathering at her home because she was a wealthy businesswoman. And from there, the gospel probably continued to grow. And Paul is remembering them and what God is doing in them and through them in Philippi. He remembers not only God's grace in them, but he prays for God's grace to them. He remembers them in their need, whatever that may be. And when he does that, he finds joy in prayer. Look at what he says there. Always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. That whenever he's praying for the Philippian church, it brings him joy. It brings him joy in his prayers because he knows that God is going to bless them. That God is going to give them all that they need out of the goodness of his love for them. All the fullness of the grace that they have in the gospel. You know, when you, when you give a gift, an extravagant, an extravagant gift that you know that someone you, you love needs. Right? It, it, it ought to give you joy, doesn't it? How much more so than... Should we have joy as we're praying to God to give your loved one everything that they need and more? And God is the only one who can do it, and God has promised that he will do it. Ask whatever in my name, and it will be given. Right? Of course, with the, with the caveat that it's all under the, under the banner of God's, God's will and plan, but ask whatever and God can say yes or no, but God will give them everything that they need out of the fullness of his love. So you're giving, in, in, in many ways, when you pray for the needs of those you love, or for your fellow Christians, your friends, your family, your community, right? whatever you pray for them, God will give them what they need as you pray it, and you can rejoice knowing that God is going to do it. 
and that God is using your prayer uh, to do that. And so Paul finds joy in that prayer. This is important because when we pray, it's so easy for prayer to become drudgery, to become just going through the motions, to become boring, and, and, uh, and you're unfocused, and you feel like, you know, since you're on your knees and you're not doing anything, nothing is being done. But that's not true. Maybe the reason why we, we don't have joy in our prayer life is because we're praying only for ourselves. We're not interceding on behalf of, of the saints and of the kingdom of God. We're not praying for the needs of our uh, unbelieving neighbors and friends and coworkers. We're not praying for, for the needs of God's greater glory in the kingdom of God. We're, we're really actually focusing only on what we need. And, and here's the uh, paradox of joy. The more you focus on trying to find joy in yourself or through yourself and through your circumstances, the less joy you will find. But the more that you, you put others before you to reflect the life of the Son of Man who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, the more you lay down your life in your prayers for the good of others, the more you will find joy. Joy is always an other-centered perspective and way of life. Uh, when you bend your, your life outward toward those around you, that's where you'll find joy. Because that's how Jesus, that's the joy that Jesus shows us. That he came to be a servant. He came to give his life, to lay down his life, and to serve us. And he found his joy. Right? The writer of Hebrews says, that um, he says, you know, following in Jesus' footsteps, he says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. Why was the cross joy for him? Because in dying and rising would bring about your salvation. And, and so that's my encouragement to you in your prayer life. Uh, one of the ways that you can revive your, the joy of praying is to pray for others and not only for yourself. We also need to know not only the joy of, of uh, thankful remembrances, but the joy of true gospel partnership. Paul gives thanks in remembering the Philippian church. He remembers their partnership in the gospel. Look at verse 5. Because he's thankful for them and, and all the prayers for them, he, he has joy. And in doing that, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And that word that Paul uses here for partnership is koinonia. It's the same word that we uh, understand as fellowship or participation. Uh, and here he uses it, uh, maybe one of the translations that makes it a little bit more focused is partnership. I think koinonia includes all of that. It is a comprehensive participation and fellowship and partnership in the life and ministry of a church with one another and with God. Paul is remembering how the Philippians were integral partners with him in the ministry of the gospel, not only in Philippi, 
but throughout the, the, uh, Paul's uh, missionary endeavors. See, Paul didn't go it alone. He always had people with him, and he was always supported by people as they freely gave to him. He was supported by partners in prayer, encouragement, and in resources. And this is one of the reasons why Paul is writing the letter of Philippians. When Paul was in, imprisoned in Rome, the Philippians sent Epaphroditus to give financial as well as, as uh, spiritual encouragement to Paul. And so now Epaphroditus must have gotten sick. You know, later on in the letter, we'll see he must have gotten sick and close to death. And he's nursed back to health. And now he's sending, Paul is sending Epaphroditus back to the Philippians with a letter, a letter of gratitude, a letter of love, a letter of thankfulness, expressing his joy for what the Philippian church had done for him in sending Epaphroditus and in sending, sending the gifts, uh, financial and otherwise. And so that's what gospel partnership and fellowship includes. Right? When we think of fellowship, you know, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Uh, talking about you know, what's going on in your life, uh, what, uh, inquiring about what's going on in other people's lives, to hear news, uh, to hear stories over coffee and donuts. And, and that's a good thing. Uh, maybe that you can think of that as more social fellowship. Right? Like I said, it was a, it's a comprehensive uh, participation in, in each other's lives. But it not, it doesn't, it not only includes participation in, in one's life, but in, in our joint mission together as a church of Jesus Christ. That fellowship includes working together as a church to see the gospel go forth in our community, uh, in our neighborhoods, and throughout the world. How do we do that? Prayer, encouragement, financial support, uh, and maybe, and, and also including uh, doing the work of ministry for each other and with each other, equipping one another to do the work of ministry, teaching Bible studies, participating in Bible studies, encouraging and helping to raise new Bible teachers, um, supporting and participating in evangelistic outreaches, uh, just this morning, we, I, I invited uh, and asked people to consider helping out with our summer vacation Bible school from June 26th to the 30th this summer. Um, and as you consider it, and if you do help, you are participating, you are partnering with one another, with me, in the outreach of our church, that you are gospel partners. This is part of the fellowship of our church. Paul wrote this about the work of the Macedonian churches, which included Philippi. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will, for begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 4. Uh, as you give uh, to the ministry and the mercy ministry of our church, 
um, freely giving. And, and if somebody tells you to kind of hold off a little bit, you beg to give more. Uh, that's what the Macedonian churches, that's what the Philippian churches are doing as partners in the gospel. They don't see themselves as merely consumers in the church. They see themselves as committed partners in the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, I think in, in this way, we can say that every member of the church is an ambassador of Christ, a missionary of Jesus, uh, that, in, in, that, that as we work together and live together in fellowship and partnership, we are partners in the gospel. And I'm very thankful. I'm very thankful for, for all of you. And so I want to challenge you to, to partner with me and with our church to reach people for Jesus. Invite them. Share the gospel with them. Give all that you can. Serve all that, you, all that you're able. Be a partner in the ministry of this church. Don't be a consumer. Don't just sit there and say, you know, uh, um, you know what, what is the church going to do for me? Why don't you ask, what can I do for the church? Kent Hughes says this about uh, if you're, he says, if you're looking for true fellowship, give yourself to the gospel at home and around the world. Serve together with others in women's Bible studies, children's ministries, youth ministries. Do short-term missions. Join mercy work to alleviate suffering in places like the vast area devastated by disasters like Hurricane Katrina. Take the good news to the poor. Join a band of brothers and sisters to pray for the world. That is how you will experience genuine Christian fellowship. Lastly, we need to, to, to know the joy of gospel sanctification. Paul gives us another reason for his joy. Look at verse 6 with me. He says, And I am sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let me point out three truths that ought to give us confidence and joy in the gospel. First, we can have confidence and assurance that our salvation is absolutely guaranteed and secure. This is one of the most important truths of the Christian faith. It's foundational to the gospel, and it is foundational for us to live a Christian life. Because we are absolutely secure in God's love and acceptance of us already. And so we don't have to question it. So our good works come out of a, an assurance of God's love rather than trying to earn God's love. Trying to earn it as if we merit it. Do you see how important that is? It's what makes the good news, uh, the gospel good news, not good advice or positive thoughts. News that is good to us and for us. It's the truth that our salvation also rests not in ourselves, not in our goodness or good works, but on God who does good work in us and for us. The good news is the news of God's work in us, in sending Jesus into the world to become like us in order to save us, to live the perfect life that we should have lived but couldn't and didn't, uh, to die the death that we should have died, uh, but we didn't. 
bearing our sins in his body, suffering the guilt and shame that we deserved in our place, bringing about forgiveness and a righteousness that is not ours, rising from the dead to give us his new and everlasting life, ascending into heaven to sit at God's right hand to intercede for us as we live our Christian lives in order to save us to the uttermost. In sending us the Holy Spirit to apply the gospel in us. You see, Jesus came to be the gospel for us and to send the Holy Spirit to work the gospel in us. And he who began a good work in us when we were dead in our trespasses and sins caused us to be born again to new life as new creations in Christ Jesus, where the old has passed and the new has come. That when we first heard the gospel, in the very power of that gospel going forth, raising us from the dead, spiritual death, taking out our heart, our dead heart of stone, and putting in us a new living, beating heart of flesh, of new life. And that work sets off a chain reaction, a domino effect, if you will, that once he began it, he will bring it to its conclusion. It is inevitable, it is guaranteed, it is sure. And, we, and that's what ought to give us joy. Because sometimes we, we don't have the joy that we ought because sometimes we wonder if, if God, if God is, still loves us or if God is going to continue to work in our lives. Or even when we're lukewarm, if God still is uh, zealous for our salvation. This is what Paul is talking about, the, the assurance that what God began in his sovereign grace means that he will finish. That he who began it will bring it to completion. And so this... Uh, this has at least three, three applications for us in our lives. It means we don't have to work to continue in our salvation. Right? If salvation doesn't begin with us, if it doesn't start with us, then it doesn't end with us. You see? God who begins it will bring it, will bring it to completion. And so we can trust in that. That's what it means to live by faith, by grace, through grace. So we're never trying to earn our salvation so that God will love us more. But God already loves us as much as he will ever love us. And so it's for us to, in gratitude, catch up in living uh, for him because he loves us. No matter how many times we stumble and fall into sin, our assurance of salvation isn't in our performance, but in in God's perfect love for us in Christ Jesus. Uh, If we would only let that truth sink deep into our hearts. It would transform and revive our faith and our Christian life. Amen? That, that if you really knew that your salvation is absolutely secure, then you would be free to love Jesus with all of your heart. Uh, and, and even if you stumbled, even if you, you fell, uh, you can get right back up because you know God still loves you. Notice what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say that he who, that you who began a good work in yourself will bring it to completion. 
Uh, it doesn't say maybe God, he who began a good work, or, 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 or kind of he who began a good work in you. But he, look at what he says. He says, he who began, certainly began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. And so that freedom of knowing that God has already begun it and he will finish it frees you to grow in in grace and sanctification and joy and peace in your life. And no matter how slow or little my progress may seem, I trust that God is going to carry me through, that I may be struggling with a stubborn sin that I can't seem to shake, but because God who began a good work in me will bring it to completion. He will give me victory over those sins. If not today or tomorrow, uh, if not 30, 40, 50 years from now, he will do it at the day of Jesus Christ when he returns or when I go home to be with him. He will bring it to completion and we will be as perfect as we will ever be. Free from sin, free from death, free from sorrow. Uh, This is why that the beautiful picture at the end of Revelation is that Jesus will wipe away, God will wipe away every tear from our eye. Because when he returns or when we go to be with him, the the great fight of faith, the difficult, arduous process of sanctification will be fully complete. We will be without sin uh, and we will suffer no more. That ought to be a great foundation of joy in our lives, should it not? If we only knew, if we only knew what God has already given to us as a guarantee, that no one, nothing, no circumstance, no difficulty, no trial, no tribulation could ever take away that joy. And the reason why we can have this great assurance that he who began a good work will bring it to completion at the day of Christ is because he who began a good work 2,000 years ago, born in a manger, born in a stable, raised in Nazareth, who ministered, who walked the earth in the weakness of our humanity, who carried our cross, bearing our guilt and shame up the mountain of Calvary and, and, and dying on a cross, that he who began the good work of our salvation in the gospel already brought it to completion. Dare we say, finished it when he died on the cross. The last words he uttered in which he could say with joy, if you will, it is is finished. You see, the reason why we can rejoice in, in the salvation that, that, that God has given to us, that he will bring it to completion, is because Jesus has already completed it in the gospel. And once he begins that work in us, that uh, the chain reaction of our growth, our faith, our sanctification, and ultimately our glorification is certain. And we can rejoice in that. Friends, brothers, and sisters, what sparks your joy? And when you think about the joy 
of the salvation that you have. Let it be that which you use to declutter those things that you don't need. Uh, the temporary and fleeting joys of this life, uh, you, can, you, can, you can see the eternal joy that you already have in Christ Jesus. And in doing that, you would celebrate the God who began the good work of salvation in you will bring it to completion. And that will be the joy that takes you home. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the wonderful truth of your gospel. Lord, help us to experience this joy that Paul points us to in his letter. Lord, would you give us the joy of remembering your goodness, the joy of of, uh, living for you, the joy of uh, the completion of your salvation in our lives. Lord, help us then as we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.